Do you like beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. Happy Memorial Day weekend. The weekend is upon us. One of my favorite weekends of the year. Oh, yeah. It's the start of summer. Yeah. Jeremy Whitebird Deister. Everybody's behind Memorial Day. It's the start of summer. Everybody likes it. A day off. You can't beat the day off. Yep. You know, you can't beat the weather. You can't beat that there's very little that you're obligated to mm-hmm, do. Mm-hmm. How do you like it as a as a brewing weekend? Top five brewing weekend? A big drinking weekend? Probably <laughs> my, my one of my biggest a rush, harvesting weekend, rush yeah. carbonating weekends is usually what happens. So it's like, oh, you're, you know, you'd like to bring a growler over to the families. You don't plan on anybody over. There might be fan, or, you know family or friends in from out of town. You end up with an improv group of people coming over and now you need to rush carbonate beer so if there's a memorial day tradition for me it's saturday night shaking a keg in the basement trying to get beer on tap for the weekend Mm -hmm. so that's my memorial day tradition and trying to get the garden set trying to get the garden set the backyard set so you can just ignore it for the rest of the summer get some tomatoes in the fall yeah and hops all right. So for summer draft and brewing supplies and things you might need, if you're thinking, oh, yeah, it's the start of summer, I'm going to need some stuff for summer, uh, what are we talking about? What's the, What are the big rushes that you guys get right about well, now? Well, we see a lot of people rushing in to get a party tap. So like the pump style, like, you know, you would see it like, you know, rented with any keg. Uh, tap in a hurry because a lot of times you'll go into, you know, consumers, Twinlow, someplace like that. You'll buy the keg. You go to rent a tap, and especially for a holiday weekend like this, they're all out. And so we do sell them. We have plenty in stock. So we got, you know, a bunch of different levels, anywhere from $30 up to $70 for different hand taps. Um, now, there is something I always wanted to say because a lot of people ask me, should I get a hand tap or should I try to get some like basic draft system? And I always push people over to a basic draft system. So we sell a very uh, basic, it still has a party tap, so a little picnic plastic tap, but you have a CO2 tank and a regulator. The difference is you're putting CO2 back on top of the beer, not air. When you start pushing um, you know, air on top of the beer, while you're not losing carbonation if you keep up pumping, um, you are slowly oxidizing the beer. So it'll start to get skunky, might start to get a little bit sour, may start to acquire kind of a, you know, a, a dead leaves or cardboard flavor over time. So if you're just serving the tap, you know it's all gonna go in one day, go ahead and get the party tap. You know what I mean? You rinse it out, you're done with it when it's all over. But if you think there's a chance there's going to be some beer left over, $150, we have a very basic home draft system. You know what I mean? You don't have to drill a hole in a refrigerator. You can put the keg in the refrigerator. You can put it in a bucket of ice, push it out with CO2, and then you don't have to worry if you don't finish the keg of beer about it going bad. Once you start pushing air into there, you can't really get it out easily and just getting into the beer. So it's going to start slowly ruining your beer. So everybody comes in last minute to grab a party tap, you know, in traditional pump style. But I'm here to try to push you towards something with CO2 in it um, so that you can, that you can, you know, keep the beer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If all is said and done, you know, a lot of people aren't getting just a keg of, you know, domestic light for events like this. They're getting kegs of craft beer. Give it the respect it deserves. Take care of it. Put it on CO2. 
It's not that much more money. It will pay for itself over time. Right. You won't have to worry about somebody over or under pumping the keg. It will just keep coming out at the right pressure all afternoon. This is why when you're in college, the beer keg parties, the keg is so unreliable, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this is Oh, yeah. This is how it works. Like, everybody's pumping. Like, no, you got to pump it less. Yeah. My, my, my One of my pet peeves, and so don't be this guy, before you even go to try a beer, you know the people that just pump on it 100 times? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That just drives me insane. Mm-hmm. You know, normally if you have a keg out at a party and you've generated a little bit of headspace, the beer will slowly come out of there all afternoon just from the fact that the CO2 will make up the pressure in that headspace. Um, you don't need to pump the living daylights out of it, and it just always creates problems. If you are, if you do have a pump tap, pump just enough to get the beer out of there. That's it. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, they usually don't have a long hose. You want to keep the pressure low. Just give it enough to get it out of there. All right. How about uh, other stuff for brewing outside? What else What else is on the uh, list of things for outside brewing? Well, one thing we could talk about is we have a wide choice in burners this time of year. And we, we do, you know, all year, but we really kind of keep them uh, front and center this time of year. And there's uh, three brands that we could kind of take a look at right now. So there's the Blickman burner, which is the top of the, the end. Now, that's a stainless steel burner, has a high distribution um element on it as well as it has two modes kind of a high efficiency low btu mode and a low efficiency really high btu mode so you you have two options of how you can do say a mash you know what i mean and then crank the btus up lose a little bit of efficiency to get yourself up to a boil quick now that one comes in at about 150 dollars. the next one available is the anvil burner you still have high distribution um, and you don't have the stainless steel casing anymore uh, now you have uh, you know painted steel um, but you with both the anvil and the blickman you can do large batches and you can put leg extensions on it so if you don't want it sitting you know six inches above the ground if you want it 40 inches above the ground 38 inches you can do that with the leg extensions for both the blickman and the anvil and the anvil comes in much cheaper at about 110 dollars now the kind of traditional is the cast iron um, brewer's best elements burner uh, so it can take a lot of weight it's really heavy duty it's cast iron there's no uh, leg attachments available for it so it's always going to be sitting about six to eight inches above the ground but it comes in at ninety dollars and is a close to 150 000 btus so if you're having problems with your turkey burner because they're usually low pressure low btu and you're not getting up to a boil as fast as you would like for under a hundred dollars you can get yourself well over that hundred btu range and get yourself up to a boil over faster than you would like sometimes mm-hmm. um, but we have a lot of different brands of burners out there um and we have kind of some you know uh we'll say some advantages and disadvantages for each of them. We are more than happy to kind of walk you through those. These burners don't break down. Between all the three of them, I would say they're equally reliably because they really have the same functioning parts but in slightly different designs to kind of get different results. Um, But at the base of it, they're all very reliable. Um, So it's really how much do you want to spend and what features do you want in the long run? Okay. Yeah, but we have that. We have wart chillers. We have your big brew pots. We have pretty much everything you need for outdoor brewing besides sunshine. But we have that today. Yeah, so yeah. We don't need it. We've been good on that. Uh, anything on rhizomes and the hop planting guide? We we did an episode a couple weeks mm-hmm. back. Um, 
Any any update for anybody that might be we growing We are starting to run out of rhizomes. Okay. Because I think a lot of people have the same gardening attitude as me. They want it done by Memorial Day. We had a late spring. We've had this rush of good weather. It's been hard to get out there in the backyard and give myself a you know a sunburn. It's been so warm. Um, so a lot of people are rushing to plant the garden. So my hops at home are probably about 15 feet high already, 10 feet high. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's too late to plant. A lot of people are planting them now. A lot of people will be up until early June, but we are starting to run out of variety. So I think we're out of Centennial. I think we're finally out of Cascade, which usually we order a ton of Cascade. I can't believe we're out of it. We still have some Columbus. We still have some of the like Mount Hood, Liberty. Um, so there's still plenty of rhizomes available, Chinook. Um, but if you were Hoping for a certain particular rhizome, we may have lucked out already. Okay. And uh, one other thing you have on here is uh, a, new, a, a bit of a newer item. Yes. The Keg King Mark III Brewing Controller. Um, this is going to be big for a lot of home brewers. Um, we've already sold Indoor, outdoor, or both? It's a Well, it's an indoor. What okay. it is is it's a two-way uh, temperature controller. So normally to get to a controller that has a good relay in it, you had to spend quite a bit of money, and you were probably looking at a relay that you either you had to you know put together yourself, or the relay in the temperature control unit. Again, it would only do one function, so you could do heat at one time or cold. You can't have it set to do both. Now the Keg King has a big relay in it. I don't know. This is one of the things we always look at with controllers because if you have a big relay, it really opens up what you can plug it into. If you have a small relay. Often you're using it to power secondary relays, small pumps to move your heat. You're afraid to, say, plug a whole chest freezer or old refrigerator into it or, say, a heating element. Um, I don't know what the rating is on this guy, but we've already tried it in our old 50s big refrigerator. That thing was kind of known for burning out Sarmistat units, and we've had it running on pretty damn cold for over a week on there, and this thing has uh, taken the abuse. It's very easy to read. So you plug this into the wall, you put a probe into you know, a refrigerator fermentation chamber, and then it has two outlets on the back of it, one that does heating and one that does uh, chilling. So for anybody who's wondered about a fermentation chamber, but you don't want to invest in two controllers, you don't want to build your own, you don't want to have to try to rewire a refrigerator, this is huge. The Keg King comes in at $69.99, so just under $70, bucks, and it does both-way control. To be quite honest, I've already bought one, uh, Kevin's already bought one, and uh, we still have four or five left on the shelf for the weekend. But these are going to be big going into the summer for a lot of brewers, and the fact that they're readily available. Um, once you start summer brewing, it's really hard to control your temperature. Um, and what happens is you start a beer, you get it at the right temperature, you put it in the basement. Within the next 20, 48 hours, the temperature either drops or rises. And the beer can produce some funny phenols and esters during that. But if you have an old refrigerator, you can very simply plug the refrigerator into the Keg King controller and set whatever temperature you would like. Now, as it starts to get cooler and it is not, uh, if you want to get cold, you know, warmer than the ambient temperature in the basement, you can also plug a heater and run them both at the same time. Now, the unit shouldn't run them both literally at the same time, 
but if it gets too hot, it should run the you know refrigerator, and if it gets too cold, it should run the heater. So for under $100 plus an old refrigerator, you can have a full-on fermentation control chamber. And that's going to be big for a lot of home brewers because you can do as much research as you want. You can put in all the time into a recipe, but if you keep losing control of fermentation over and over again, you're going to have a lot of problems brewing. And it's going to show in the beer. You're going to have, you know, funny phenols creeping in. You're going to have under attenuation. You're going to have all these problems that really come from you not being able to control the temperature. Okay. And in a little bit later in the program, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, kind of controlling esters in beer a little bit, especially when it comes to German wheat beer. And this temperature is one of the first things that people uh, go to. And being able to say, no, do you want to know this time? I want to be exactly two degrees, exactly three degrees warmer is huge for the home brewer to have that precise of a control of fermentation any time of year. All right. Should we get to a break and then I come back should, yeah. and talk oyster stouts? Sure. And among other things. Uh, we'll get back to that, getting more flavor out of your heffy, but oyster stouts as well. It is uh, Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520, wishing you a happy Memorial Day weekend, and uh, get to brewing when we get back, oyster stouts on the other side. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supply. 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. Back here on Memorial Day weekend, Jeremy White, Bert Deister, on ESPN 1524. Uh, Niagara Traditions just brew it. Holiday hours, you guys are open today. We, we are open today, and regular hours till 4 o'clock, and we're closed till Tuesday. Okay. So if you need to get in, we're open today, but if you're planning to come in on Monday, we won't be there. Okay. We're going to be off barbecuing, grilling, drinking, having fun. All right. Not at the shop. Uh, if you missed the early portion of the show, any episode can be found on demand at ESPN 1520's website or WGR's as well. Uh, we're going to get into oyster stouts. What made you think of oyster stouts... I want to start this is a tradition over the holiday weekend yeah. of making, because I usually like to do a light stout for summer. Light-bodied, not like kind of the English sweet, which is often what you see more for the oyster stout, but a dry Irish stout is one of my favorite beers to consume in summer. I know for a lot of people they're a winter beer, but at their low carbonation, low gravity, low alcohol, um, they seem always kind of perfect for me for summer. Okay. And they kind of they fill that nice, you know, roasty craving I have. You know what I mean? Especially when doing a lot of barbecuing and stuff like that um, without, you know, giving me a big, like, Russian Imperial or something like that or, you know, really, you know, bitter porter. What's the, what's the genesis of the name? I mean, I've had oyster stouts, and I've liked them very much, mm-hmm. but I wonder if they are a victim of, you know, in the world of people trying a bunch of different beers, their name scares people away. I would definitely say that. I mean, I don't like oysters, yeah. but I do like oyster stouts. I was scared away from them from a long time. Um, and so a little bit of the history of, of the oyster stout is it, people believe it really just paired um, with, you know, like Guinness export, um, you know, English stouts and the consumption of these towns, especially in New Zealand, Australia, consumption of a lot of oysters 
and a lot of stouts. They just went well together. Um, and so some of the first oyster stouts may have not had oysters in them, but have been brewed to drink with oysters. But then people started putting oysters in them. It first started as probably just oyster shells as a fining agent. You get some chitas in. You get calcium carbonate and calcium bicarbonate. Um, that will help your yeast flocculate. The, the chitas in will help proteins coagulate. Um, so they would actually do some work just with the shells to um, – help clarify your beer and help it progress a little bit in fermentation. Um, but then people started adding not just the shells to the mash, but whole oysters to the boil to add a little bit of a kind of flavor element to it. Now you can go a little or you can get a lot of it. Um, the classic example was brewed in the 1960s, and that's Marston's Oyster Stout. And they did put in whole oysters into the boil and actually cook them in there. Um, you will get some interesting flavors. You're going to get some earthy flavors. You won't really get that many fishy, per se, flavors. And if you think about it, oysters really aren't fishy. Mm -hmm. They're kind of earthy. They almost have a, you know, a little bit of a like umami for, in kind of a, like a seaweed. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? If you eat a lot of sushi kind of flavor to them. And they have salt in there, which is going to play with your water pH. And that, I think, was probably the most surprising aspect. And the first thing I noticed when I had my first oysters out while I didn't really taste the oysters, you immediately kind of get a savory sense from the beer because you've added salt to it. Um, and that's the other kind of advantage of adding an oyster stout. Now, I want to try to make one this weekend. And now I don't think I'm going to add the whole oysters just because oysters aren't cheap this far inland and I want to eat them. I think I will eat the oysters. I will take, you know, the bit of meat left behind, shells and all, and put them into the beer. So it should give me a little bit of flavor. I could always add a little bit of salt, too, if I wanted to it. But it will also give me that clarifying effect. And the calcium that you're getting from the shells will kind of give the beer a softer finish. So for as far as stouts go, when you make a... Uh, oysters out. Say if you're living in New Zealand, Australia, you longed for the hard water and the stouts produced in England, these oysters would kind of bring back some of that water profile and kind of help round out the flavor and take out the bitterness. So normally for my summer uh, stout, I'm adding up to six grams of calcium carbonate, which is a lot. And it kind of has this cleansing effect. And while you taste a little bit of smoky, you taste a little bit of coffee from the roasted malt, it kind of cleanses your palate really fast. Um, so it makes these dark beers refreshing. So if you're thinking about making a light dark beer and you're having people over and you're chucking some oysters, might as well chuck a couple in the pot. You could always take the oyster shells, put them in the freezer um, or wash them and save them and put them in later. But I would try to do it fresh if you can. That's going to be the best way. Okay. Maybe the freezer is just to preserve them for just so it does you don't get any like slimy molds or anything on top of it yeah because that salt is really kind of precipitated the outside of the oysters you know what i mean and held in the water so you kind of want to keep that there as best you can okay really best idea to use them fresh gotcha this is one of those things you know we've got it's funny we have a lot of these different styles of beers we talk about and there's definitely case-by-case -case basis in terms of oh yeah that beer do use that thing like pumpkin don't use pumpkin mm -hmm. oysters do use oysters if you want like there's i would like to put it out there that i encourage pumpkin and oysters i do not encourage glitter glitter because I, I, you're just not getting as much front of it and as we worry about microplastics and stuff like that please right. don't just mix it into your beer yeah that's just never good. okay yeah but so yeah put the oysters in the beer keep the glitter out put the oysters in okay
Moving on to Heffies? Moving on to Heffies. Okay. So this is something we also get a lot this time of season. Okay, we don't get that much about oyster stouts, that many questions. But we do get a lot of questions about Hefeweizens. Usually that they're super simple. I'm going to brew one. Somebody brews one. Where's the banana flavor? Um, and so let's kind of first, you know, German Hefeweizen's very light beer. So you're talking great summer, low beer. Al- great summer beer, low alcohol. They have a little bit of that savory. Some of the best traditional uh, German examples like uh, Frankensteiner are made with 100% wheat malt. Um, and because of that low gravity, you can make one of these really cheap, really easy. Um, now, but most brewers are kind of focused on the ester profile from it, particularly the banana flavor. And then they first turn to the heat because we talked about this earlier. If you, especially if you have a temperature controller, if you're trying to control ester production, changing your temperature is, you know, easy. Just go up to the controller, up at two degrees, walk away, up at four degrees, walk away. But that doesn't often give you the flavors that you're looking for. And this becomes most apparent in the Hefeweizen. And here's kind of why and this is going to go beyond hefeweizen so if you're not getting enough fruit flavor in you know what i mean your belgian saison or your whip beer or your english bitter um this is also kind of advice for you as well so more esters are produced by these during the reproduction and budding phase which we actually know only lasts really the first you know day or two days doesn't really go on much past there um, you need to hit a certain threshold threshold for all these esters in order for you to taste them. So often what happens is it gets late in the fermentation. The brewer takes a sample. They're not getting any banana esters. They crank up the temperature. The yeast begins to over-attenuate. You get a little bit of alcoholic warmth in there, and it just extenuates the kind of clove flavor that was building. And so the trick is is that you want the esters produced during that budding phase. And I think there's a tendency for home brewers now because of the, you know, all the yeast calculators out there. Um, dry yeast have really kind of doubled, if not tripled, the amount of cells that you're getting in there. Uh, y, uh, y yeast uh, years ago gave up on their small packages and only moved on to their big activator packages. So you went from having about 50... Um, billion cells per package to 100 billion cells per package from about 1,200 um, or uh, 120,000 billion cells in a dried yeast to some claim up to 250,000 or billion cells in a single dried yeast package. So you've upped the quantity of yeast major just from the manufacturer. If you want a good tasting Hefeweizen, you need to pitch low because you want those esters to come out while the yeast is budding out, while they're in that reproduction phase. Um, so that means stay away from dried yeast or use a small portion of the package. Um, if you're using liquid yeast, you really want about 50, I would say 50 billion cells per five gallons. So that's like half of an activator pack. Um, So definitely don't do a starter. Even without the starter, you're kind of pushing too many cells already. So go ahead and keep the temperature low or keep it around 70 degrees, but pitch low on the Hefeweizen. And you should look during the lag phase and during the first bit of fermentation where other yeast would normally produce like green apple flavors. You know what I mean? That you'd normally be trying to avoid with a good healthy pitch and finish you will be trying to 
avoid with the Hefeweizen. And I'm not saying let the fermentation taper off and let the temperature drop a little bit, but I have to say the best Hefeweizens I've ever done have done that. Mm-hmm. They've come up a little bit higher than ambient temperature in the fermentation, maybe to 72, and then drop back down to 68, you know what I mean, before I had fermentation control. And I try to mimic that same uh, process in my you know fermentation chamber now. So the, the trick is with these Hefeweizens, stay away from the heat. It may work, especially if you have enough gravity left and you still have a little bit of rebudding to do, or if you rack it over, sometimes you can get it to rebud then, but it's not quite the same flavor as getting it to do it right, right from the beginning. So pitch low on those Hefeweizens. You're looking for low attenuation. This is low alcohol beer. You're looking for high ester. Uh, contribution of, you know, particularly that uh, isyl uh, uh, acetate. Um, so pitch low. And this everybody's is pretty, I, I, pretty much everybody, you know, I, I give this warning whenever I see somebody come in to buy a Hefeweizen recipe and they grab dry yeast, I always warn them, hey, I use about a third of that package, quarter of that package for five gallons. I take the rest of the package, I don't try to save it, I boil it into my next high alcohol beer as yeast nutrient and just accept it like that mm-hmm. and which which yeast you make or which yeast you use is going to make a big deal in the flavors it makes too so stick to the 3068 the wine stuff on our wheat yeast the wb06 from fermentus but then remember to pitch low so you're getting the right type of esters and you're saying this about more than just half a bison yeah so this is also true of you know like uh, english bitter um as well uh for you know saisons um pretty much any beer like porters it's very ester focused um the grodisky is an example of this um, i pitched kind of low for that as well i only use half of a package of dry yeast if i'm making that and that's again an ester kind of you know focused beer or at least a predominant you know ester in it so pitch low I know a lot of guides tell you the opposite. Oh, that you you know you'll have attenuation issues. You'll have you know over extra production. But in a beer where you're looking for under attenuation and extra production, do that. Do what you're not supposed to do. It'll All make right. life easier. It'll make life cheaper. You're going to get a better beer in the long run. Yeah, that's it for us. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Make those oyster stouts. Make those hefes. Give us feedback anytime you want to ask a question. You know you. Take questions you get from the mm-hmm. store and bring them right to the show. You got it. So you have a question, you know, bring it up and we'll, we'll talk about it at any point. It is uh, Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day. Enjoy yourself. You guys are closed on Monday on Memorial Day, mm-hmm. but open today. We're open today and open Tuesday. All right. There you go. That's it for us. Back next week here on Niagara Traditions. Just brew it on ESPN 1520. You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.